This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. TV Wrestling Network, friends and family, welcome to this month's episode of Journeys Through Places Unknown, universes where things change, things aren't as they seem, things may be better, things may be worse, at least where we are, we try to make things better for almost everyone. Welcome to the November 2023 trip through the looking glass. I'm your co-host, Scott Griscola. Um, thanks for joining us as we have reached, uh, we're in the middle of season three, if we're going by that, um, uh, it is October and, uh, I said November at the beginning, didn't I? I'm in October. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're in October. Uh, whenever I have this guy on, I don't know what season it is. Cause you know, we're both, this might be the only time of the year where him and I kind of share the temperature. And then, it, and then as we progress, mine slowly goes down, his slowly goes up. But uh, right now, I think we're about the same. How slowly it's going to be. I think it's going to go up pretty quick. I know. Good evening, Dave Hall. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Scott. I'm doing well. Happy Halloween to all of our listeners. If you're listening as this, uh, just uh, around the time this drops, um, we, uh, I hope you have a great, uh, a great day, a great night, I guess. And, you know, it's, I know it's in a very... A, from my perspective, it's a very American holiday, so I don't get to uh, you know, sort of it's a bit of a different feel down here in Australia. But uh, you know, I hope everyone's had it, having a great, great October. It's uh, it's fantastic down here in Australia. We love it. We uh, just we we've got our weather warming up as uh, as you mentioned, Scott, and as you guys cool down. But it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy all the same things. You know, it's. Uh, NFL season, and I'm still riding the high from uh, my Niners knocking off your Cowboys. I'm just going to drop that out there for everyone to hear. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it's no, it's uh, it's all good. Right? Well, it's all good fun, but no, it's yeah. uh, it's great to be back. And um, yeah, we, we do we thank everyone for joining us. So we really appreciate you joining us on this journey because uh, yeah, it, it it's not worth uh, it's, it's sort of hard to do podcasts if no one's listening to them so thank you very much everyone yes yes and uh just want to warn you mr hall you don't win the super bowl in october <laughs> no no you don't just remember that but now uh well, already got the injuries starting to mount up so yeah this <laughs> no. feels like another typical niners season now oh boy well of course as we're speaking the niners have not played yet this week they're playing monday night against the uh, vikings so uh, the Cowboys actually had off this week. They had a bye after beating the Chargers on Monday night. I think they play, I don't know who they play next week. Giants, I think? I don't know, I'll have to look. Anyway, we're not talking sports. But uh, Dave, always a pleasure, and you're right. Like I said, the temperature, we're both probably in the 60s-ish. Uh, I love, I always laugh when we do our January episode because you are usually in the 90s, and I'm in the 9s. <laughs> <laughs> so I always find that very funny. But anyway, uh, this month uh, is an interesting one because normally 
Dave, our episodes usually involve kind of, you know, going to an alternate universe to discuss uh, an injury or, um, you know, just changing up a card. But this month, I feel like we're we were going to do it was down to one of two topics. The one we're doing tonight, or we were going to rebook some Halloween Havocs. I kind of want to save that. I feel like we can we could do that anytime. Uh, Halloween Havoc, of course, you know, the one of the few iconic named uh, WCW pay-per-views. There's been some great ones. There's been some crap ones. Dave wanted to really hack the crap out of the 2001 because it, it needs hacking. <laughs> um, we're going to do we'll do that next year. I was kind of I kind of wanted to do this one because this one's a little. This one's a little saucy. Uh, for us, Dave, because for the first time, we're going to discuss, for the most part, what happened to guys because of uh, the two uh, sinful words in professional wrestling. Backstage politics. Yes, a reason somebody didn't get pushed because of somebody else. Uh, we haven't really dived into that subject much this month, but or, uh, on our show, usually we get into like the nerdy things like card changes and venues and that kind of stuff. But we're actually going to get a little saucy tonight, Dave. Give us a little background. Yeah, yeah. This um, this this topic, this concept developed a few months ago when Scott and I were, were talking off off uh, off mic, off recording about some issues and uh, really started um delving into the thought process that there are there are so many professional wrestlers out there who've had um, what looks like a big push coming or they've gotten themselves over with uh, with the audience they look like they're ready for a, a big run in some way and then for some reason they get it, it just gets the rug pulled out from under them the, everything just stops they are uh, they get deep pushed they, they the term of being buried, Often uh, comes up, guys who just start going on these massive losing streaks. And uh, it, it got us talking about how some guys, how their career trajectory was really impacted by these uh, these moments. And mm-hmm. and uh, we want to look today at um, we want to look today at a couple of guys who whose career was heavily impacted by by this sort of thing, uh, or, or at least a part of their career. Was was certainly impacted by this, and uh, I think we're going to have have a bit of, a, of an interesting journey here because we've we've sort of got four guys picked out, and and uh, a couple of different time periods, and and for one guy, we we actually realised there was multiple times in his career mm-hmm. that he suffered the uh, the frustration of backstage politics coming in uh, biting him in the ass. So. Multiple state, multiple, multiple eras and multiple promotions. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So that's even it's, crazier. Uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a, an interesting journey today, and I think it, I think it's a real, like you said, it's it's a different concept because you're talking about blokes who um, wrestlers who had clear upside things that they had things about their their character, their persona, their in ring work that grew attention and made them um, get over with the audience at different points of their career. And mm-hmm. yet there's clear occasions where something has gone wrong backstage. And whether it be uh, issues with um, direction from the company's direction 
whether it be pissing off the wrong people backstage or, or perhaps not being the – perhaps their conduct maybe uh, led to them ticking off the wrong people. There, there's all sorts of uh, variations there as to what, what leads to them getting on the bad side of someone and ultimately the direction they were going gets completely changed. Correct. That's where, we, that's where we're going today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to we're going to bring up there, there's a ton, but we're going to bring up four specific ones. And one guy that we're going to bring up has three sub sections. Uh, two of them were a decade apart um, and two of them were in the same company and got blocked by the same guy of the moment. You may know who that is as I've been as I as we expound on it, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's a shame because, uh, you know, we can't all get along. We know that. Um, what I so think these guys, I'm not sure some of these guys can get along with anyone. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> we'll get on to that mean, later. Yeah. Well, the, well, one of the ones we'll talk about was just, I think it was a no win situation for him, uh, in that, in, in his scenario. I think another one was just kind of the, the landscape of the company it was. I still think it was mildly political, but I also think that. Uh, I also think that um, uh, he um, he may have been in the wrong place at the wrong time, um, but I guess it depends on your point of view uh, for one of them. Uh, but the other two, he definitely had the opportunity to really, you know, uh, to really push himself and and be big at a time when he was really needed. And they just they totally ruined it, but we'll we'll get to that. So why don't you lead us off, Dave? Who who are we going to do first? Right, well, we're gonna. I think we're gonna start with someone who's who's um, whose trajectory in the WWF was was clearly changed by the perceptions of a particular of one person in particular and and, and his friends. Um, and, and we're gonna we're gonna start in 1996 with the man they call Vader. Ah, yes. Now, now, Vader, for those of you who are long-term fans and have followed, you know, lifelong fans like many of us are, Vader came into the WWF in 1996 with a massive reputation of being one of the best big men in the business. He, he, had, a, he had a run in WCW, which was just fantastic. And, and, you know, WCW world champion in 92, 93, um, considered with the best and most agile big man in the business at the time, doing things that guys his size didn't do. He was doing moonsaults and stuff off the top rope, which guys right. didn't do. And he he had a character and a persona that got him over big in WCW. And he was, he really was, along with Sting, those two really held together the main event for probably two to two and a half years until the arrival of, of the man they call Hogan. And, uh, you know, due to various situations, which this is not, we're not covering. I mean, there's another political situation. But what about politics? I mean, we're talking about politics. We're not going to rebook this time period specifically for Vader, but Vader's first run-in with political backstage issues came up with Hogan, not because, because Hogan comes into WCW in, in 94, obviously pushed straight to the main event, gets his win over Flair, wins the world title. And everyone mm-hmm. was expecting this big feud with with Vader. And when it started, 
Hogan literally kills Vader off, you know, Vader's gimmick and character right off the bat by jumping up from a power bomb in a non, like in just a what should have been the segment to create and start the feud. He Vader power bombs Hogan. Hogan stands straight up. That's it. Gimmick's done. What can Vader do? But um, there's a lot of rumors and stuff backstage that Hogan was not keen to work with Vader because Vader was known to be very stiff and very snug. Mm-hmm. All you yep. have to do is read Mick Foley's book to, to, to get some understanding of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hogan's, Hogan's not one to for the snug work. He doesn't like that. And so the feud between he and Vader really never got any real traction they had a couple of pay-per-view matches but i mean that's notorious for the fact that hogan beat vader in a strap match by dragging rick flair to all four corners of the ring as opposed to vader and then vader was moved aside and never had anything to do with hogan had his uh famous or infamous running with paul orndorff and, and he's out of the company so in 96 he arrives in the wwf with this massive reputation and you know, right from the start, he had a very interesting... Like, he arrives in the WWF at the Royal Rumble 96. Big debut, big sort of in-ring clash with Yokozuna, who's, you know, former champion and really sort of getting set up on a, on a, on a roll. And then, if memory serves, he actually, not long after, like, pretty well gets injured straight away Mm -hmm. and has to take a couple of months off with injury and so that sort of sets him back a little bit he returns to the ring he starts this build to um the main event picture and as we all know 1996 Shawn michaels beat bret hart in the iron man match at wrestlemania he's the reigning world champion and destined to have this run in with vader but you know there were issues there and um we all know that Vader's uh, 1996 SummerSlam match with Shawn Michaels is infamous for Michaels chucking a hissy fit in the middle of the match about Vader's work and Vader's positioning and Vader not doing what he was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And next, next thing you know, Vader's out of the picture. And pretty well, his WWF career was in the tank from that moment on because... Shawn Michaels didn't like what was going on. And uh, it's a real shame because he had so much upside. Yeah, uh, I love Vader in uh, through most of his career. Loved him in WCW in the early 90s. He was, he was champion. Uh, and, and again, here's a situation where we can continue to compliment the man they call Sting because Sting, obviously, much more professional than most guys. He had no problem dropping the belt to Vader and battling Vader and wrestling snug with Vader. Uh, Again, we know Hulk Hogan's a big fucking baby sometimes. And um, he infamously said uh, a lot of times it's really about the sizzle. Nobody cares about the steak. And uh, that was just him trying to deflect the fact that as he got older um, and was still in the main events, even though his you know work rate kind of fell through the toilet. Um, he just to try to justify that by saying more people care about me cupping my hand to my ear than by doing ponches and the, you know, topes and stuff, which he's not, he's not a hundred percent right. Maybe he's like 2% right. But the fact remained 
Vader. Vader never really was treated like Hogan's equal in 1995. And I think a lot of it led to why, um, why WCW had such a crappy 1995, uh, you know, uh, the 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 competition wasn't great the matches were not great uh by the middle of 95 it felt like even WCW fans were starting to tire of the of the red and yellow shtick um in 1995 it's funny how we talk about the work rate that Diesel had cuz Diesel's work rate i mean Diesel at least knew how to adapt when he wrestled this is the problem Hogan had through a lot of his career Hogan never knew how to adapt um uh, uh, you know, um, he, he knew that when he faced a guy like Brett and a guy like Sean, he knew how to adapt and, uh, and, and let the guy dance, let the guy lead the dance. Hogan never did that. Hogan never let anybody lead the dance, even though he had two left feet to use a dancing term. But the one thing that WWF needed at the time was a guy who was a monster heel that had the presence and the reputation and the respect of a guy that could be uh, a monster heel. Whereas um, guys like Mabel, you know, uh, was not bringing any uh kind of anything to the table uh by the time wwf got vader in 1996 he was a he was a, a welcome presence on the heel side for um for wwf and it was coming at a time when you know we passed wrestlemania diesel uh is leaving razor ramon is leaving so Shawn Michaels needed that presence. He needed a, he needed a, uh, a, a badass heel. And things could have worked out so well, Dave, um, as 96, uh, progressed. And it just didn't happen. It just didn't happen. Sean, another guy, obviously Sean, Hogan and Sean were different issues. I don't mean to be, I don't mean to go too down, too far down, Dave, while we continue, but Hogan's problem was he just was scared. He was scared of his spot. I don't think Sean totally understood. Tell me, tell me if I'm wrong. Give me, give me your thoughts on this. Hogan just was scared of losing his spot. And Hogan even knew in the nineties, even though he was not the best worker on the planet, he was never going to lose his spot, but he needed it's give and take there's give and take. And Hogan just wanted to give and give or, you know, take and I should say take and take. Sean, I think, 
Sean obviously was not Sean obviously was not uh uh lucid a lot of the time. Even when he was at his best uh in the ring. Mentally, I feel like Vince didn't it's almost like uh Tony Khan now in AEW. Vince didn't <laughs> Vince didn't drop the hammer enough to tell Sean, all right. He's losing. You're losing. The, you're dropping the belt tonight. I don't give a shit what you say. It's my company. And instead, he kind of he was so worried about Bischoff and he was so worried about money, you know, because the company was was you know fiscally struggling that he kind of let Sean do what he wanted. And we got back to back pay per views. Dave, we had SummerSlam and In Your House Mind Games, which uh, uh, last month uh, on Wrestle Tracks, myself and Greg Diener watched, where. Sean just couldn't adapt. He almost kind of had the same problem Hogan did. All right, you're not in the right spot. You missed your spot. Reset, work something out in the middle, and find another spot. Instead, he throws a fucking temper tantrum. And from that point on, Vader was kind of kicked to the curb. Didn't help, of course, that J.J. Dillon and... We talk about this with JJ. If you go deep into the PTB archives, folks, place to be.podbean.com, uh, JR and I, on a very early episode of the Place to Be podcast, interviewed JJ Dillon, who I met at a, at a convention. Awesome guy. I got to meet, yes, I got to meet the business manager of the greatest heel faction in the history of the business. Pretty great. Um, and he pretty much said, yeah, you know, shit happened. He left, WC, he left WWF, went to WCW, and pretty much told Bischoff that, um, you know, Vader's going to win the title from Sean at the Survivor Series, which sucks. And because Vader, I, I do feel like, I seriously do feel like, Dave, that that Vince would have taken Vader seriously as a legit uh, heel that could carry the world title at, mm. at some time. Don't don't you agree? I, absolutely. I mean, he had everything that Vince likes in 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 a worker. He can work. He could. He, he's a big man. Um, he he looks good in the ring. Um, he can talk people into wanting to see the matches. He had everything that that Vince likes in in his character. Right. Yeah, and he was a big guy, you know. Vince doesn't care. Vince doesn't care if the heels are fat. Vince cares if the baby faces are fat. <laughs> that, was, that was his only thing. He didn't care if the heels are fat because they're heels. Um, but the, the reality of it is, both Vader got screwed by wrestling politics and by business politics. He got screwed because Sean was a fucking brat. And he got screwed because the Monday Night War was still in its relative infancy in 1996. You know, the NWO was red hot, but ratings were still, you know, it wasn't until 97 that the ratings really, you know, kicked it. Um, so let me ask you. Say none of that happens. It's time to look through the glass. Let's go to our alternate universe, Earth 5. And... Let's say that 
Hogan. Let's do two parts here. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Ready? Okay. I rarely throw a curveball at you, Dave, but I'm going to throw one at you now. Let's let's do it. Let's do two of them. Let's do a WCW switcheroo. Let's say Hogan actually does play ball with Vader in 1995. Let's say that maybe that bash at the beach or whenever they first wrestled, uh, what was it, Super Brawl? Yeah. Was it probably Super Brawl 4, I guess it would be, right? Five? Six? Five. Five. Let's say first first match out, uh, Vader, I don't want to say dominates Hogan. I wouldn't go that far. He wouldn't have to sh- – uh, uh, Hogan didn't have to show that much butt. But let's say Vader, you know, maybe Harley Race cracks him with a cane or some shit or something. And Vader actually wins the WCW title that first time out. And Hogan has to chase for a few months. Let's say that we do a storyline and we and, and it builds through 95. And then we get to Starcade 95 which yes, had the whole Japanese thing, which I still think could have happened. You still could have done the new Japan thing or the, you know, the whole, because you don't want to get rid of that, that Eddie Otani match. Cause that match is awesome. Um, but what do you think? Help me out here. What do you think about a, a Hogan Vader journey that starts, that starts with Vader winning the title at Super Brawl five in February and ends with Hogan winning the title at Starcade. Do you think that's too I, long? I don't think so. I, I think? think I think that um, I, I think if I was looking at it, I might um, hold off Vader's title win until the uncensored uh, the uncensored and the and the strap match. What what I would I would probably have Super Brawl be some form of schmoz. Uh, Vader gets DQ. Vader, Vader is excessive. He's 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 power bomb power bombs Hogan on the outside and maybe gets a count out or the ref DQs Vader because he just he won't break a, a beat down on the ropes and there's some sort of thing of you see Vader being vicious. You see Vader being that monster and the the ref DQs him even though. It looks like he's dominating Hogan, and Hogan can be, you know, helped to the back and, and all that. Mm-hmm. And then and then perhaps you, you build you you run the the strap match concept. And the reason I like the idea of the strap match is you can you can drop Hogan can drop the title in a strap match without having to be pinned, without having to submit. It can you can do the fluke. The old everyone, or not, not ever. I don't like it, but it seems wrestling. Uh, bookers, from what I've seen, love the the um, the heel winning a strap match in that controversial fashion, where you know the bad guy and the good guy both touch three turnbuckles, and then you know maybe the 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 bad guy gets thrown into the turnbuckle or pulled in, and we've seen that thing. But you can have Hogan lose the title without being beaten down, and I think that's where you could get a, a the belt back onto. Vader, and maybe you, you spend uh, the, the first month after it, Vader refusing, the, I'm not going to give you a rematch. There's going to be no rematch. I beat you. That's it. You're done. And, um, you know, Hogan, you know, you get the the commissioner on board. You get your president. I think it was Nick Bonkwickle was playing that role at the time. Um, you can get them on board to, to build to a match, but but Hogan can – 
you know, you can do a tag match in there, Hogan and um, Hogan and Sting versus Vader and Vader and Beefcake, Vader and, and whoever, because you know Beefcake could turn heel on him and all that. Um, you could do something like that um, to allow the tension to continue to build. Maybe not. Um, Again, I don't know if you could carry it all the way to Starcade. It might be something that you would have to blow off at Havoc, at Halloween Havoc, where Hogan finally gets the, the rematch. And in classic Hogan fashion, you could have Vader do a, an attack on Hogan and put him in hospital, like Earthquake. Yeah, put him in hospital, and Hogan has to, you know, has to have a month or two off, um, which, you know, Hogan did all the time anyway. Mm-hmm. Hogan, you get the big build up. I'd probably do it at, at Halloween Havoc. You do the big build up. Um, Ho- Vader can play up that he's the monster, and Hogan can talk about how, you know, at Halloween we beat the monsters. You know, we, the monsters come out to play, but I'm going to overcome. And, and, you know, maybe put him in a cage, put him in, in something something that no one can, can get in or out of. And, and that's when Hogan can do his. You know, get power bombed in the middle of the ring, and as Hogan does, jump up, huffing and puffing, or kick out, puff and puff his way up. He can send Vader into the into the um, cage a few times, bust him open, hit the leg drop, and whether they want to do WWF style leave the ring or whether they want to do WCW style pin him, you, you've got I, either way, and and I, and Hogan can come out victorious, and then. And then build to a match with in, in in the underneath. You can be building someone else up underneath mm-hmm. it to be the contender, whether it be um, Savage Sting or Luger in a as a as a single guy, whether it be you know, Ric Flair has rebuilt his credibility and and is ready for for one last shot, whether it be um, someone else. Being um, being developed underneath, and I mean, again, we're talking about 1995. WCW didn't have a lot being built up. It really sort of no. seems to the shoulders of Sting. I mean, that would be the perfect thing. You could actually have Sting being built up underneath, and you could do a massive good guy battle, Sting versus Hogan at, at Starcade, uh, just as that as that massive who's the best guy in the company, and and go from there. But I'd I don't think you can drag Vader out to, to Starcade. I think you'd have to get the belt off him earlier. Interesting. Okay. I would do the reverse, maybe. I would I would still have, now that we're talking about it, maybe, maybe instead of at, instead of at Super Brawl, he wins the belt at Uncensored. Uh because uncensored in the main event is uh, is Hogan and Vader in the strap match, which I think Vader could have won there. Then at Slamboree, you have the tag, Hogan and Savage against uh, Flair and Vader, and Hogan, and you know, and you could still have Vader as champion. Uh, that's where, that's where Vader could do something like attack and and injure Hogan. Right. And send him to hospital. Yep. Uh, because Hogan is not. Neither Hogan nor Vader are on the Great American Bash 
uh, card. The main event of that show was Flair and Savage. Um, and Hogan, I don't even think is on this show. No, he's not. Uh, so so which means that, that, that he's probably off filming at the time, which that creates that opportunity. You can you can storyline him out with an injury and have Vader carry the title, and Vader can beat up on Savage. Vader could not, you know, wrestle Savage at the Great American Bash. And then a bash at the beach. Uh, maybe in that match for the steel cage, maybe you can have Hogan win there. So you don't even maybe you don't even have to go as far as Great America at uh, as far as Halloween Havoc. Maybe you even have Hogan win here on the beach. Uh, on, in the cage on match. The one year anniversary of his first championship win. Exactly. You know. So maybe you do that. So that's a scenario where that's a scenario where uh, um. You know, at least Hogan looks or uh, uh, Vader looks better in 95. In my opinion, I think Hogan looks better in 95, too. And maybe the crowd doesn't, you know, kind of get sick of him because he just keeps winning and he's taking the the fun out of uh, of everything by constantly winning. You know, that's that's a possibility, too. Yeah. And because you can keep if you've got Vader working with. So if you do the Vader being the monster and injuring Hogan and while Hogan's out. He's beating up on Savage and Sting and and the other guys that the crowd are always going to be behind. That allows the crowd to hate Vader as opposed to what was happening when Vader and Hogan first faced off is is the WCW crowd who had always had that anti-Hogan feeling. They were cheering Vader. Because they didn't like Hogan, but this creates the scenario to get Hogan's sympathy, to get to get people angry at Vader again, so that when Hogan comes back, he he's he's got the crowd behind him, willing him to knock over this big monster that no one really likes. Mm. Yeah. So even if even if Vader still uh, leaves and goes because. The assumption to me is once the NWO does come in, uh, I think Vader would have not fit anyway. So I'm okay with Vader ended up, but but at least leaving, at least leaving on his terms instead of someone else's. Yeah. Now let's fast forward. I still would have had Sean. The Sean beating Vader at SummerSlam is not the problem. It's the temper tantrum and being a big a big brat because he couldn't get his perfect move. Um, and, and, and whinging about it after the match, allegedly. allegedly yes. Behind yep. the scenes to Vince, and that's what derailed Vader. It was that what happened during the match and after the match that derailed Vader's push. Right. Um, uh and then I'm glad, as much as that match is awesome, and again, uh, Greg Diener and I watched on last month's episode of Wrestle Tracks. Oh, and uh, incidentally, just a little programming note. If you miss Dave and I doing Halloween Havocs tonight, don't worry. Mr. Diener and I will get you, will have you covered for Wrestle Tracks this month. I'll just leave it at that. Um, uh, Greg's like, <laughs> Dave's like, damn! No. <laughs> we are, I will say, eventually, uh, once we get the show, we said it about our show, too, but I w- Dave and I would love, or, um, well, Dave and I would love to have guests down the line. We're going to work on that. Uh, Greg and I will eventually get guests on uh, on Wrestle Tracks too. We just want to get that show kind of off the ground. We've done two episodes so far. So, anyway. 
Uh, that's a side note. So stay tuned in the next week or so for the October episode of Wrestle Tracks. Anyway, I digress. And at least at Mind Games, Mick Foley went to Sean and said, listen, bitch, you ain't doing, you ain't potatoing me, motherfucker. I don't have an ear. So <laughs> fuck you, pretty boy. <laughs> and he just he threw just as many potatoes back at uh, at uh, at Sean as Vader, I think, got caught off guard because if Vader really wanted to, he could have snapped Sean like a Slim Jim. Oh, yes. So it was probably under instructions to like pre-match to not not work as snug as he normally does. Right. Right. Uh, but my point. Right. But also my point is, if Sean, if Vader really wanted to be Vader after Sean kind of acted like a brat, he could have he could have folded him up like a lawn chair. So so uh, Sean should be very lucky that he didn't get his ass kicked more often than he did by the Marines in Syracuse or whatever. So anyway, so. I'm okay with Vader not winning the title at, at SummerSlam, that's fine. But let's assume here in our alternate universes, we're looking through the glass that Vader is in the main event at Survivor Series at the Garden. Uh, I think the Garden crowd still would have been jacked for for Vader, as jacked as they were for Sid that night. I was jacked for Sid. I, I, there's not many Sid marks bigger than me, except maybe uh, Aaron George. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah, Aaron and I are probably the only legit Sid marks on the planet. But <laughs> um, so let's 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 go through the glass, Dave. Vader wins at Survivor Series. Okay, he beat Sean. Two schools of thought. Do they do the same thing they did with Sid? Does ho- does Vader hold it for a month, wrestle Brett at in December and in your house it's time? Which makes sense now because he's the fucking champion. So now that now the name of that pay-per-view actually makes sense. <laughs> and then he just drops it to Sean at the Royal Rumble at, at the Alamo Dome. Or, or do we stretch it out a bit? Forget the whole Brett-Sean 2 crap. And have Vader go all the way to to WrestleMania, and Vader there would drop the title to Taker. I, I think it anyway. What do you think? I think um, I think the thing about Vader is, look, I think it's easy to say that it would just be the Sid storyline. That's the easy easy option, and and right. probably probably what was planned before. Um, before things change, but because we're in a world of our of of the looking glass, I think the thing about Vader is Vader would have had the ability to show Vince what he could do, put him put the belt on him, and I think in the two months between Survivor Series and Royal Rumble, Vader would have shown something to Vince that would have had Vince going, you know what. Maybe I do change my approach here. Maybe I do change my direction because Sean and Brett don't need the title on the line to face off at WrestleMania. Brett can get his win back without the title being involved. Um, that that was that was part of the concept. It was those two facing off again for Brett. To, you know they don't need a belt, so. I think Vader had the ability to really get um, get Vince's attention with his work in ring, uh, especially I think if he'd had a match with with Brett, I think a match between Vader and Vader and Brett would have been one of those sleeper four to four and a half star matches because of how Brett can work and what he can do. Correct. What Vader can do as well because Vader can work. 
but he, and, and no offense to to the Sid marks out there and the people who love Sid, but Vader <laughs> work better than Sid. Um, I really could see Brett and Vader putting on this amazing match at at, at, at in your house, and Vince going. This guy needs the belt a bit longer. This guy needs to hold it longer. So Sean and and you know Sean might get his rematch at the Alamo Dome, and maybe something goes wrong there. I don't know. I probably would keep Sean away from Vader at that point. I would probably have something else creep in, and you know, you, you, you Vader could start running through. He could run through Brett. He could maybe do sit it at the Alamo Dome. Uh, then you've got the what was supposed to be a final four match. Maybe, maybe he, you know, has maybe you that you do Brett, Sid, and Sean, and Vader is your final four, and Vader comes out with that one um, as well, building to the big WrestleMania 13 concept. He's again, you've got that that unlucky 13. That you know, 13 is is that feeling almost similar to Halloween Havoc. You've got that concept where you could go Vader the big monster and Undertaker our our other monster. Flash of the monsters, let him go and and yeah, and then and then Undertaker is the one who brings the belt away from Vader and and, and captures it for his uh opportunity to have a run with it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean it probably makes sense to just keep the but at least it makes Vader looking ahead too, uh, Dave. It makes Vader strong as you move through '97, you know, because I feel like he becomes like utterly useless by the middle mm. of the year. And because, because he'd been, been burned, because he'd been de-pushed, he he was just a waste of time. Yeah, and it sucks because. You know, he spent all that time in Japan and then, you know, 90, 91, all the way to 90. Well, I guess you could say early 95. He built himself up to be such a stud. And then and then he's just emasculated by Hogan and then he's emasculated by Sean. Uh, not the last time both those guys would do that to somebody. <laughs> Actually, it'd, it'd be the second time that Sean would do it to somebody because this guy we're going to talk about in a minute happened before this. But. Um, I'm sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say, if you look at Vader, taking this picture through 97, Vader loses the belt to Undertaker, maybe has a couple of months where he he works with some other guys. Maybe you get a match in there with, um, you know, uh, know, maybe he gets a match in with Mankind or whatever as as Mankind has his face turned. Then you have the, the Heart Foundation situation happen. And so all of a sudden, Vader can be a guy... Instead of bringing in the bloody Patriot, when you turn Vader face, like the whole Heart Foundation, you could have Vader be one of the catalysts of that 10-man tag team match to start turning Vader baby face. Right. Then maybe at, at SummerSlam, he wrestles Davy Boy Smith or something like that. Um, and, and possibly, or Owen, or you know, not Owen, because that's the Austin thing, but maybe he wrestles Davy Boy or, or the Amble or someone. But then you could start that picture instead of bringing in the Patriot who really, you know, brought straight in, put straight in the main event for nothing else than it was the USA gimmick. Why not put Vader in that match and have him have a really solid match again with Brett and Brett wins. Then mm-hmm. when you put the belt back on, take on Sean, when, 
you have the screw job and Sean, Sean's got the belt, all of a sudden in your house DX can be Vader versus Sean. Vader going, I beat you before, I can do it again. And Sean not laying down for anyone. Sean can get his win back there. Big time win. He can he can beat him clean. He can super kick or DX can interfere or Owen can interfere at the end. Who who knows? But you can have Vader then becomes a guy who can help elevate the new world champions, you know, two or three times over the next mm-hmm. 12 months. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So Vader, that's case number one of how we can go to an alternate universe and save him from the politics of shit. Case number two, Dave, where do you want to go? I'm going to jump us. I want to jump us to what will be probably a a bit of a short one because I want to look at at um, one that's very well known for a different political reason, and that is, what do you do when you've got a guy who's massively over and um, been doing well in your main event picture, but you've promised. You, you you basically for 12 months indicated that your main event of WrestleMania was going to be Rock versus Cena. And of course, I want to just briefly look at CM Punk in 2013 because CM Punk really ran, ran afoul of politics here because Punk had, um, Punk had done a lot in his time as champion in 2011 and 2012 to really warrant a main event, the main event, the last match at WrestleMania um, as the champion again. And yet, because everything was being built towards Cena versus Rock 2, you had this situation where they had to get the belt off Punk and put it on on one of those two so that they could have their rematch. And Punk drops down, has that, well, not the dropping down to them, to face Taker isn't much of a drop down, but Clearly, it, it, it was something that, that irritated Punk. It's something that irritated a lot of fans. But this was a political situation that Punk really had no control over. Vince wanted to do Rock versus Cena again. And he wanted the second time around to be for the title. And as a result, they had to get the belt off Punk and move him out of the way. And, you know, could there have been another way? Is there a way that Punk would have been involved in the main event and still Rock and Cena have their rematch or be involved. What are your thoughts there, um, Scott? Uh, There's a very easy, there's a very easy answer to this, Dave. Uh, I'm glad we talked about this because this is so ridiculously easy. It's embarrassing and it's insulting. Why does the belt have to be on Rock at all? Hmm. Triple H and Undertaker wrestled two straight years without a belt. Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker wrestled two straight years without a belt. Why the hell did Rock have to win the belt? Why couldn't Cena just beat Rock in the in the main event? Why couldn't Cena... First off, Rock coming back fucked everything up anyway. Because... And now it may be happening to Cody, which I hope it doesn't. Um, I understand... Rock and Cena had to go last. I get that. And that's fine. Because I'm right now, let's start at Survivor Series 2011 when Rock, when Cena and Rock were in the tag, but earlier in the show, Punk beat Del Rio to win the title. Oh. So his title reign starts. Okay. 
At TLC, the main event was Punk, Del Rio, and and uh, Miz in a TLC match, which actually was a great match. Oh, my God, was that an awesome match. Very unheralded. Move ahead to the Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble doesn't count. The Rumble's always the main event. It's fine. No problem. Punk beat, uh, he beat uh, Dolph Ziggler. Nobody cared. Easy title defense. All WWE and World Heavyweight Champions, most of them get easy title defenses at the Rumble because the Rumble's the main event. Totally get it. We move to the Chamber. In the Chamber, Elimination Chamber pay-per-view in February of 12, you had Punk successfully defend the title in the Chamber. Guess where that match was? First. Guess what the main event was of that match? John Cena and Kane in an ambulance match. Are you serious? You're telling me. Now, the other chamber match was Daniel Bryan defending the, the, the chamber. And both guys won. Let's make that clear, Dave. Yes. Both guys won. Punk kept the belt in his chamber match. Daniel Bryan kept the belt in his chamber match. Punk's chamber match had Miz, Jericho, Kofi, Dolph, and R-Truth. Eh. Daniel Bryan's had, and this is even worse. Daniel Bryan's had Santino, Wade, Cody Rhodes, Big Show, and Kali. Was the roster that lousy that those were the best they could do in both of those in both of those chambers, because there is some dead weight in both of those chambers. But I would have at least had one of those. I don't think Punk would have got mad if Daniel Bryan's chamber match was on last. That's fine. Usually one chamber has to curtain jerk. It's usually the way they do it. And I'm fine with that. I would have had at least one of the other chambers in the main event. John Cena versus Kane in an ambulance match does not draw flies and this is where i think this is where i didn't really hate cena as much in this stretch more than i did in like 06 07 but this was egregious that john cena and kane in an ambulance match was the friggin main event i know we're gonna stretch this out dave longer than i know you plan to but I need to map this out because this is this is what we're getting to. So so bear with me. So we move ahead to WrestleMania 28 in Miami, and Rock and Cena is the main event. I'm fine with that. It's got to be. I'm fine with that. Meanwhile, Punk and Jericho, which is the second to last match, so Punk can't totally bitch. It is the second to last match, at least. And he, unlike Daniel Bryan, he didn't lose in 18 seconds. That match went 22-23. It was the third longest match of the show behind <laughs> Taker Triple H and Roxy. <laughs> you want to talk politics? <laughs> Those two matches were an hour combined. Uh-huh. Isn't that insane, Dave? <laughs> Taker Triple H was 30-53, and Rock Cena was 30-35. I just watched the Rock Cena match, actually, recently, just for the hell of it. And I liked it. Punk and Jericho was the second-to-last match. Fine. Totally fine with that. We now move ahead 
to a to extreme rules. Now, I get it. I get it. Uh, extreme rules. The main event was Brock and Cena. I get it. Having said that, I would not have done this match. I still would have had Punk and Jericho in the main event. In a Chicago street fight in C- in Punk's hometown, Damn. I would not even have had this match. I would not have done Cena Brock in that in that spot. I wouldn't have. I'd have waited. That's because I don't think because I don't think Brock was ready. I mean, obviously he was not. You know, this this show, this show is embarrassingly this is this is there is this is the pits over the limit which was in may in uh, i think it was in st louis am i right no raleigh raleigh north carolina okay you had punk and daniel bryan which arguably dave hall is one of either the both of those guys best matches ever and on my GWWE top 100 list, I think I have it like, I'll look another day. Like, I, it's in my top 15. I think I have it at like 12. If you, if anyone's never seen that match, Punk and Daniel Bryan. It's Punk and Daniel Bryan. The match is amazing. Amazing. Why is that match not last? Because our main event had to be in a, quote, no DQ match, John Cena and John Laurinaitis. That is more egregious than John Cena versus Kane in an ambulance match. At least Kane's a wrestler. I'm sorry John Laurinaitis is not carrying the New Zealand flag to the ring with the friggin' sheep herders. We'll bring you out his skateboard. Dave's like, I can't believe I pulled a ripcord on this. Um, <laughs> Dave's like, this is amazing. Um, that is a gr- that is just that is just criminal. That Punk Daniel Bryan match is so damn good. Almost every other match, <clears throat> excuse me, my God, I'm losing my voice. Every other match on this card is better than that match. Christian and Miz in a battle royal. You had Kofi and Truth against Dolph and Jack Swagger. Eh. Layla Beth Phoenix, Sheamus, Del Rio, Jericho, and Orton in a fatal four-way for the world title. Christian and Cody if, if, uh, in an intercontinental title match from later in the night. Ryback Camacho, we could skip. So you got to, but how do you not have Punk and Daniel Bryan in the main event? And instead, we got to watch Cena and John friggin' Laurinaitis. And then the following month, No Way Out, which was uh, my buddy saw because I was at the Meadowlands. Punk and Daniel Bryan and Kane in a triple threat should have been the main event. Instead, we get Cena and Big Show in a cage. Why this Cena-Lauronitis storyline was so saucy for Vince that he had to eat up three straight damn pay-per-view main events to do it. Absolutely ridiculous. And I know, folks, I'm getting to a point. Trust me, I am. Money in the bank. All right. 
Money in the Bank was the following. It was in Phoenix. The main event, now Punk and Daniel Bryan again. It's fifth. Fifth. It's not even seventh. Guess what the next two matches are before the Money in the Bank match? Ryback, Kurt Hawkins, and Tyler Rex in a handicap match. And then Caitlin, Layla, and Tamina against Beth Phoenix, Eve Torres, and Natalia in a diva six, ta- six diva tag. And then the main event is a Money in the Bank ladder match. And who wins it? John Cena. He he never won a Money in the Bank before. Come on, Scott, you've got you've got to give him a chance. You've got to give this, <laughs> this up and coming guy an opportunity to to shine. Now, I would have put. You know what's sad, Dave? There were two Money in the Banks that night because there was a World Heavyweight Championship. Guess who won that Money in the Bank? Uh, well, it, Dolph it, Ziggler. It to, I was going to say it had to have been John Cena, didn't he? He was wrestling in every match by now. Exactly. He wins both briefcases. Meanwhile, Daniel Bryan and CM Punk in a no DQ is fifth. It's not even second to last. It's fifth because we need two heater matches on that show. Ryback, Kurt Hawkins, and Tyler Rex. And then Caitlin, Layla, and Tamina against Beth Phoenix, Eve Torres, and Natalia and her stupid cats. Maybe the cats were managing in the match. Who knows? Then it's SummerSlam. At SummerSlam. John Cena's in the world title match. But guess what? (laughs) I have to blame my guy for this. Because Punk beats Big Show and John Cena in a triple threat because your main event was Brock Lesnar and Triple H in a no DQ. That one's okay. That deserves to be the main event. Next, we have the... <laughs> <laughs> Dave's like, I knew you was going to say Look, I, I will be fair. When it, when it comes to Brock, more and more, I, I, I see the attraction that... I, I really believe the attraction is. I don't know if I would... I, I think... I don't know if I would have had him against Hunter, but certainly Brock, in a big-time appearance, I get him being in that, in that drawing spot. Well, what's funny is... The only time Brock, before that match, before that main event at SummerSlam in 2012, the only time Brock and Triple H were in the ring together was, guess where, Dave? Your backyard. The global warming. What's my voice tone? I can like Peter Brady tonight. The global warming tour show in Australia in August of 2002, 10 years before, uh, or was it September? I'm trying to remember who was, was it. Who was, who was was it? So was was it before or after SummerSlam? Rock, Rock was Rock was champion. It was he just was still champ. SummerSlam. Yeah, it was a, it was a triple threat because it was Rock, Brock, and Hunter. I just Hunter. can't remember and, who and was Rock champ. Pinned, Rock winning champion pinned Hunter. You're right. That's the only document, and I have that DVD by the way. It's a good show by the way. Were you there? Did you go? I had tickets. Yes. Did you? I, I love that show actually, and I have it. On, it's on. I'm. I think it's on Peacock. I think I have it on DVD actually. But uh, that's that's the only documented Triple H Brock Lesnar in the ring match uh, before this one. I get it. All right, fair enough. And at least uh, Cena didn't win 
We move ahead to Night of Champions, okay? Night of Champions. The main event. Punk finally gets a main event against John Cena. Of course. It can only be with him that he's in the main event. And it ends in a draw. And now at this point, Punk is turned heel. Punk's a heel now. Because remember, he yes. turned on Rock. On the Rock at, in a tank to match. On, yeah. on, the three, on, the three, uh, on the first three-hour Raw. Yeah. Then, then we move ahead to Hell in a Cell, which has one of the coolest posters ever. It's a picture of uh, Punk with, like, the devil horns. and It, it looks awesome, actually. Uh, in that main event, Punk and Ryback. So Punk gets that main event. It's only 11 minutes, mercifully. And, uh, and Punk wins. And to, be fair, and to be fair, at that point, Ryback had gotten himself over big time. That was that was the whole that was his that was his ascension that was that was Ryback's real ascension. So yeah, to be fair, that that match deserved to be to be going on last. Right. Then it's Survivor Series. The main event, once again, was Punk, Cena, and Ryback in a triple threat. That match had to be last. Because these three dudes who, I don't even remember who they are. Three guys just like, it was a couple, they were a bunch of flunkies from Florida. It's came in and a yeah. bunch of bums that never did anything in the business. And they 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 interfered in the match and then they got fired like a week later. I don't remember what it was. Anyway. <laughs> um, we all, you all know who we're talking about, of course. Um, then at that TLC. Uh. Punk doesn't even wrestle. Not even on the show. Which is fine. It's okay. World champion doesn't have to be on every week. The main event was Dolph against Cena for Dolph's briefcase. Bad enough that Cena cashed in his briefcase and blew it. Now he's trying to take the other guy's briefcase away. <laughs> what a jerk. <laughs> Then following, the following, now here's the problem. The following week, or the following month, the 2013 Royal Rumble, okay? You have Rock and Punk. Now, Cena wins the Rumble. I would do a tit for tat. Oh, do you remember a year and a half ago, Rock, when you cost me the WWE title against The Miz at WrestleMania 27? Guess what? Two complete that game. Cena. Uh, FU's Punk. Uh, FU's Rock. Punk beats him. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? I like that because I like that because well, the fans were, were always going to side with the rock over Cena anyway. We'd already seen that. And um, yeah. And yet, and, but because of who Cena was, he can still keep, um, he can get the fans back probably the next night. Anyway, I don't have a problem with that concept. Okay. I, now, I like that. so 
We move ahead to, to the Elimination Chamber. Here's my rebook. Now I rebook. See, I told you I'd eventually get here. We go the following month to the Chamber. Now, the following month, it was supposed to be uh, Punk and Rock in a rematch. I would not have done that. I would have had The Rock win a number one contender's Chamber because the, the, uh, there was only one Chamber in that match, in that, main, in that uh, pay-per-view. It was for a world title shot, and it was Jack Swagger, Orton, Jericho, Mark Henry, Kane, and Daniel Bryan, and it was won by Jack Swagger. I would have said to hell with that. I would have thrown that out the window and just picked. picked it. I would have. I would have done. If you were going to do Swagger and Del Rio for that belt, you could have just do it another way. Who cares? Nobody gave a shit anyway. <laughs> I would have had Rock win the chamber. Okay, Rock win the chamber. The next night on Raw, Punk gets in the ring, Rock gets in the ring, Cena gets in the ring. So Cena has the Rumble win, has the Rumble shot, Rock has the Chamber shot, and Punk looks at both of them and goes, I'll pin both your asses, bitch. See you in Jersey. There's your main event for WrestleMania 29. Because, Because remember... The match at WrestleMania 28 was supposed to be once in a lifetime, not once in a lifetime part one. Yeah. So you do Punk. The, 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 the bloom's already off the rose at this point. So you do Rock, Cena, and Punk at WrestleMania 29. And if you really needed Cena to win the damn title, he gets his pin on Rock and Cena's left un- and uh, Punk is left unscathed. Now, I know Punk probably would have wanted to win, but unfortunately, you got to lose eventually. You've had the belt for over a year. But at least he gets his main event shot. He doesn't get pinned, and you still have Cena get his one-up on the great one. Yeah, and he comes away. You know, if, he, if he hasn't been pinned, then he comes away with guaranteed, you know, let, guaranteed rematch. You know, yeah. I, I didn't lose. I want my, I want my shot back. And, he, and yeah. he has a couple more months where he can be in that in that upper end spot and then you could then you can move him off and have him battle taker at, at SummerSlam. Right. Taker picks wrestles somebody else. Maybe you put him in the shield. Well, no, you can't do that because then the shield would have to lose. Although they, they got pinned by that point anyway, I think, didn't they? No. You put Taker against somebody else. Who cares? Doesn't matter. Um and A, Punk is still fresh and he didn't get pinned. B, he gets his main event shot, and C, because Cena had to be fucking champion again, he'll gets his belt, and then Rock can go off. Rock got Rock gave the you know did the job back to Cena, and then Rock can go leave. What was so wrong with that? You still get Punk and you still get uh, Rock and Cena at Mania. The cra- the fans didn't want a rematch. Get that through your thick friggin' skull, Vince. Nobody wanted to see them a second time. Why did you think that so much? Put Punk in there. You have another star. And I love the thinking of Punk is standing in front of the two number one contenders. Cena won the Rumble. Punk won the Chamber. And and, and Punk, and you know, you could have Vince or Brad Maddox, whatever the hell the Raw guy was. Who gave a crap at that point? And Punk goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And then you've got, you got Paul there. Paul's whispering in Vince's, in uh, Punk's ear. Maybe have the shield stand behind them because, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. And Punk goes, Vince, give me them both. 
They hate each other so much. I'll take care of it. I'll pick the bones. Let these two have their title shot. You you two want me? You want this belt? Well, you're going to have to both come at me at the same time. And believe me, you two will not be able to stand one of you trying to pin me. It's because he can use the psychology. Every time one of you tries to pin me, the other's going to pull me off, pull you off. All I got to do is pin one of your asses. But you two will never, ever be able to pin me. You two think you're the best in the world. I am the best in the world. How hard was that? Seriously, how hard was that? The, the problem we have, Dave, is that nobody wanted a second Rock Cena match. Nobody wanted it. Except for Vince. Except for Vince. Unfortunately, at the time, he, it wasn't owned by TKO, and Ari Emanuel couldn't overrule him. But, 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 but I guarantee you, though, guarantee you, if Triple H was in charge, that would have happened. Or some other... I don't even know if Triple I, I think Triple H would have brought Rock back because, you know, it, it is all about making money. But I think Triple H would have gone with my idea. Punk stays champion. He's got these three studs protecting him with their flak jackets and the awesome music. Cena wins the Rumble. Costs Rock the title against Punk at the Rumble. Rock wins the Chamber. And now the next night on Raw, Punk's sitting there looking happy as a pig in shit. Looking at these two guys who both have title shots. They cannot wait. And Punk's just salivating going, you two sons of bitches can't even be in the same room together. And one of you thinks you can pin me? Good luck. How hard is that? It's, it's, it's the easiest way to do it. And, and as I said before, Punk, you know, Punk had earned the right. He had, he had built his credibility to the point that he would be accepted in that spot as well. The fans, right. the crowd, the audience would accept him totally. as that third man in that, in that scenario. It, it's not like you're putting, it's not like you're putting the Miz in there or you're putting Dolph Ziggler in there and, and someone who just shouldn't be there. Punk has, has held that title for, for so long the heel, and to me, it was almost the, the heel turn on Rock really sort of cemented him into that upper level. And that's that's the that's the thing about this situation is Punk and Rock, Rock as they built near Mania, Punk was completely involved with everything that was going on between Rock and, and Cena. So it, it really was that three-way storyline. And Punk got moved out because they had decided 12 months earlier that they wanted the main event to be Cena versus Rock. And it's yep. and it's unfortunately something that the company does not seem to have learned from because over the last few years, we've seen it time and again, this long-term main event desire approach. We're going to have these guys in the main event regardless of who is being built up or who is getting over with the crowd. I mean, 
Daniel Bryan having to be forced into the main event between Batista and Randy Orton is the next example of it. But you can you can come back to as as earlier as this year, and I'm going to be very careful here. I'm not. We're not redoing this as a rebook. This is not part of the thing. But what Sami Zayn had done, and in, in the back part of last year and the early part of this year, realistically, he'd earned the right to be in the main event against Roman Reigns because that storyline and the way Sami Zayn had got over in the storyline, the culmination of it would have worked better at WrestleMania as opposed to one month earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm not knocking... I mean, we've got the other storyline they've got there is the Cody Rhodes story. And, you know, Cody Rhodes had come in and then he'd been injured and they were building to what they wanted to build, but it really was Sami Zayn can't be in the main event at WrestleMania because Cody Rhodes is going to be in the main event at WrestleMania. Right. So it's just it's another example. I'm not, And this is, like I said, this is not a shot at... at because I like Cody and and I liked what they were doing with him. Apart from losing, we've had that talk. That's another story. But right. um, but it, it's just where I'm coming from is it's these examples of we've got our main event booked. Nothing is going to change our mind. And it nearly happened again. I mean, we were, we were um, you know, uh, you talk about the women's revolution. The whole Becky Lynch, you know, Becky. The same thing happened with her. They wanted Ronda Rousey versus Charlotte Flair in the main event for that women's main event at WrestleMania. They didn't want Becky in there. Becky was forced to be put in. But I think that was part of them learning from what had happened with Daniel Bryan, which right. was learning from what had happened with CM Punk. And, and and that's where it all comes back to. It comes back to what happened with Punk and how they made that one error of not recognizing what the fans really wanted and going with what they'd already decided. And and the sad thing is, five minutes into that into that match, Rock injures his hamstring and wrestles injured for the rest of the match. Now, if Punk was in there with him, how much easier would they have been able to work around an injury right. if you had that three-way match? It wouldn't have mattered that Rock got hurt. And why did Rock get hurt? Because he wasn't a full-time competitor anymore. He wasn't ring um, hardened, he, he wasn't ring fit, and his body wasn't used to how it was operating in the ring anymore. And uh, they got away with it 12 months earlier. They didn't get away with it that year. And you know, you, if Punk was in there, I think it would have been a more, uh, I think it would have been a much better outcome. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So there we go. Yeah, there we go. All right. All right. <laughs> that, took lot, that took a lot longer. And, um, and I, I know, know our... I know one guy's going to take a little bit. I'm going to. We've touched a lot on some guys in 2011, 2012, and I want to briefly look at another guy in that same time period. And let, let's try and keep this one brief. Yes. Um, but we're talking about guys getting over organically and then it not being what the company was looking for. It wasn't on their radar, it wasn't on their books. Yeah, you know, we've we've mentioned Punk, you know, in his way. We've mentioned Daniel Bryan with the whole Batista Randy Orton thing comes a couple of years later, but slap bang in the middle of that all, or in fact, just before our our punk year in, in twenty twelve, we had the situation arise where an underneath guy, a guy 
got himself over as over as anyone could possibly get who wasn't named John Cena. And yet, because he wasn't the word, it wasn't doing it the way the company wanted, wasn't the man the company wanted in that high profile spot, got buried big time. And that's Zack Ryder. Zack mm-hmm. Ryder. Was, was a middle-of-the-card guy, not being used much, and he develops his um, – was it a YouTube show or was it an internet? What, I mean, we, I never really saw it over here. In it was an internet. It was, it, was on the, it was on YouTube. It was on, it was on YouTube. YouTube. So it wasn't on the network. It was on YouTube. Right. But it was it on was, YouTube. It was – was it the long the – long, um, I've got it written down here. Hang on. Long Island IZ. Oh, the true Long Island story. Z. Yep. Yes. And, and he and he created his own belt, the Internet Championship, which got morphed into the Digital Media Championship and Impact Wrestling, which is kind of hilarious. But. <laughs> but but Zach Ryder looks for ways to just get himself a bit more of a profile. Is really all he was doing because he wasn't being used in the company. It gains. Um, credibility it gains traction Zack Ryder gets over with the with the audience who want to see him more regularly said WWF bring him in and start having him lose yeah pretty much it says so he he basically makes a return I've got it I've got it here um he comes back sort of makes a return to television hadn't been on TV in ages makes the return to TV um, following the development of this in 2011, uh, turns up on the June 6th episode of Raw. First time, sorry, June 16th episode, June 6th episode of Raw. First match he's had in 2011 on television on the main flagship show, and he loses to Kofi Kingston. Right? Um, he, he, he's kept in these underneath matches, and yet the crowd still yearn for him. Um, he's put in a bit of a series with Dolph Ziggler around the United, uh, around the US title, um, and he gets a win over Dolph Ziggler and, and wins the belt. I guess hoping that that would pl- placate the the fans, but it wasn't what they wanted, so they got the belt back off him just as quick. Um, he loses the title just as quickly, and they do everything. The company does everything they can to to de push him. In my opinion, he's He's losing with John Cena against the Mizanar Truth as as part of you know, sort of the build up of Cena and they link they link him with Cena but it's about the storyline of of Cena and Rock and 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 his riders on the side. He then loses to a match to Cena, uh, which was going to give him a shot at the WWF title in December, and I think that was the WWF hoping okay, he had an opportunity but we're not going to go any further with him. But it didn't stop the crowd from building underneath. And so you move into 2012. Here's this guy who is significantly over. So what do they do? They give him a kayfabe, store, a kayfabe injury and don't have him in the Royal Rumble, probably because they were scared at what would happen from a crowd perspective if he was in it. Um, they bury him by having him get pummeled by Kane, um, and you mentioned earlier the ambulance match between Kane and Cena at um, 
an elimination chamber. That was playing off the back of the Zack Ryder storyline as well. So Zack Ryder, here's this guy, gets over with the fans to the point that he is having his name chanted at Survivor Series 2011 when he's not even on the show. Yep. I mean, this is the precursor to what happened to Daniel Bryan. Yes, you're right. Like this, this is this is the precursor. This is the the whole foundation of it, of what happened with Daniel Bryan is seen here. With Daniel Bryan, they changed direction. With uh, with Zack Ryder, they did not. And you get this situation where they really just are looking for ways. They just don't want him getting in this prominent spot. And mm-hmm. It's it's a real shame and and you know so WrestleMania 28 Zack Ryder, one of the most over guys in the company, ends up you know, doing nothing. He, he's he's not a part of that show, and I want to pitch to you a potential alteration of how to build on what was happening with Zack Ryder, and it ties in with the other world picture because Punk was the world champ. You had the Rock Cena storyline. So Punk was WWE champ. The Rock Cena storyline going on. And on the other side of the equation, you had Daniel Bryan, who was getting his momentum as a heel champion. What I think could have been done to build and and draw on what was happening with Zack Ryder is you move Zack Ryder into that world title picture with um, with Daniel Bryan. And I, I think you could have done it. I, I think you could – honestly, what I would have done with the with the momentum that Zack Ryder had, you put Zack Ryder over at the Royal Rumble. You have him win the Royal Rumble. He comes in as a, as, as a shock 30. He can fluke win it. It doesn't matter how he wins. He doesn't have to be the dominant winner. He could fluke win it. He could – you could have, uh, I mean, Sheamus won that one. Is that the one where Sheamus ousted, um, did he oust Cena at the end of that one? I'm just trying mm-hmm. to remember that Royal Rumble. Is that where he ousted Cena at the end to, to win it? You could have the two of, you could have Cena and Sheamus battling in the, in the ropes and, and Zack Ryder flips them both out. Zack Ryder is the shock winner. You could run Zach on the wave of this crowd fanfare into a match with Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania. And instead of having Daniel Bryan lose to Sheamus at Mania in next to no time, which was a real unfortunate situation, you could have Bryan and Zach Ryder have a great match, even 15, 20 minutes. Bryan beats him. And then you can move Brian back on to the um, series with Sheamus, and they can do their thing. But it gives the it gives Zack Ryder. I, I feel like the, the 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 completion of a story. A guy who gets himself over, earned a shot, doesn't make it. That's fine. And then they can start to do other things with him. But they didn't capitalize on what they had and all they wanted to do was just bury him. We we didn't we didn't get him over. It didn't happen the way it should on on Raw and on SmackDown. So we've got to we've got to do something to have the fans realize 
Zack Ryder's not who you should be cheering for. And it didn't work. And he kept getting cheered. And they kept pushing. And unfortunately, in the end, it did work eventually because they beat him so much that the fans did stop caring. And he wasn't making any money for the WWF, so they let him go. And what does he do? He goes into the independent scene and, and, and carves out a very successful career for himself on the independent scene to the point now where people are saying WWF should bring him back and he doesn't want to go. Uh, I I uh, I don't totally disagree with that. I don't know if Zack Ryder would ever have the clout of a world champion. And did you say, Dave? I mean, I don't mean to correct you, but did you say he wasn't at WrestleMania 28? Yeah, I'm looking at the 28 card and I can't see him. He's in that that Team Raw versus Team SmackDown because remember that's when Eve turns heel. Oh, he is too. Sorry, but but even then, that's a nothing match. Twelve people. That's yeah, and nothing- he. And all it did was really accentuate the fact that he looked like a chump again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, 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 he wasn't he wasn't utilized at WrestleMania is probably the best way to say it. And, right. I, and I think I think you could have ridden the wave of the popularity. Even in because the, 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 the Daniel Bryan Sheamus series really picks up after WrestleMania. So you could have Daniel Bryan beat Zack Ryder and then do the Seamus thing. And I don't right. think anyone misses out on anything. Seamus gets a good win the next month and takes the title off of Daniel Bryan a month later. I think it's just as valuable. Hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I could, I could go for that. Why not? You know, um, it's a tough spot for punk for Ryder because you're already, you're already, um, trying to get punk over. So I don't know if you could attempt to um try to squeeze both in. Although the world heavyweight title kind of got ignored throughout most of 2012, so which is maybe why you... I'm saying it's not a bad thing. No, you're probably right. I wish they'd figured out that Alberto Del Rio was a piece of crap earlier. <laughs> they could have got rid of him. Um but yeah, no, I I I I liked Zack Ryder, and it's a shame. Uh, I think Vince, that was the company just being a bunch of spoiled brats who hated the fact that this guy got over without any of their help. I think that was just being that was just bad business. It's that petty. was just immature, catty, petty, spoiled bratness, if that's such a word. Yeah, and, we'll leave it at and, that. And it's and it's something that we've seen them try to do on subsequent occasions, but as I said, Daniel Bryan and Becky Lynch, they they tried to do it to them again, um, but I think the fans had learned, you know, you're not going to take this away from us now. We we're gonna we're gonna ride these guys because they are our guys. And um and allowed it allowed them to force a change of direction. Right. Which unfortunately Zack Ryder didn't get that. I think Zack Ryder is the first case of someone getting over that wasn't supposed to. Yeah. And, and instead of cultivating it, they just, you're just getting in our way. It's just so, it was so immature and bratty. So we'll leave it at that. We don't have to go much further, but yeah, it was just immature brattiness that, that, that did that to, to Zack Ryder. And that's a shame. That's a shame. Uh, so our last one, uh, this one um, is three parts. So 
We'll try and keep it uh, uh, compact, but but it's same guy, three parts, three eras, two promotions. Poor mm. son of a bitch. Who's, and he's sadly no longer with us. Uh, I think you guys may know who we're talking about. Go ahead, Dave. Well, who we're talking about is a man named Scott. I got screwed. <laughs> Never. I'd be the one doing the screwing, most likely. <laughs> um, uh, no, of course, yes. we're talking about we're talking about um, the man known as Bam Bam Bigelow, Scott yes. Bigelow, Scotty and um, <laughs> and and yeah, the, the, we, there's there's three clear occasions where politics have had a significant impact in his career. Um, so we, we just want to touch on each one of them and have a look at would things have been different for him and how. And so we're going to do them chronologically. The first time, so Bam Bam Bigelow sort of came on the, he he sort of turned up on the scene out of, it really felt like out of nowhere. Now, the Aptomags, you can see, if you you read the Aptomags, he he sort of started, he he sort of started his career in probably late 86, early 87. He was working the independence, um, known actually quite uh yeah, part of the story is is tied with Paul Heyman because Paul Heyman sort of used him as a featured person on a show that he he sort of developed in New York um, mm-hmm. at, at is it Studio ninety I'm going to get this one wrong ninety seven or something like that I can't remember if that's the the right number uh, but... I know exactly what you're talking about give me because uh, uh, the first time I saw Bigelow Bigelow um. It was uh, uh, studio. Well, Studio Fifty Four. It's the Studio Fifty Four nightclub. Old school folks. Those in the Northeast. It's one of the. You know, Studio Fifty Four was one of the epic disco clubs of the late seventies. Stories abound of. De- you you think Edge was the decade of decadence? Yeah, that was the decade. That was a, a couple of years of God only knows what. Uh, yeah. So he he wrestled uh, August twenty third, nineteen eighty five. He wrestled oh, in. Yeah. Um, he wrestled in Memphis. The first time I saw him, he actually went to World Class. And this is the first time I ever saw him, actually, Dave. I saw him in World Class, and he was wrestling. I just watched it again on on Peacock. Uh, He was wrestling under the name Crusher Yurkov. That's right. He was wrestling as a fake Russian because, you know, Nikita Koloff wasn't the only one. Uh, <laughs> um, and he was there. He wasn't there long. I would say he was there. I don't know. Maybe mm, he did win the uh, there were the television title. He did win it. Uh, and he won. And the news, the uh, uh, Meltzer's newsletter won. He won Rookie of the Year in 1986. So then he went to Japan, and then we'll get to where we all saw him more. But but yeah, he was Crusher Yurkov in World Class in uh in 86 and i i just was remembered of that when i watched the i'm watching the old episodes of world class uh on um on peacock and uh, i'm like holy shit i forgot bigelow went there um so anyway i just wanted to add that but it's studio you're talking about studio 54 it was the old it was the old uh epic legendary disco nightclub in manhattan back in the 70s lots of coke Lots of sex, lots of other things um, <laughs> that went on, but not during that match. Yeah. Although who knows? Although knowing Paul, who knows? But uh, <laughs> but but uh, anyway, continue. It was Studio Fifty. Yeah, that's it. But I was going to say, so so Bigelow had sort of been around the 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 independent circuits, you know, the, the the old territories, like you said, world class and and Memphis and 
think he did a little stint continental and yeah, you know, but then yeah, you know, he, he really just bounced around. He was never anywhere for very long and 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 didn't have a major profile. And then he turned up in 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 mid to late '87. He turns up in WWF, um, starts appearing on Superstars. They 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 do this um, manager search. They do the old manager search gimmick, which they did for Randy Savage in '85. You know, all the managers vying for his services and. And Bigelow was doing stuff that big guys, you know, three, you know, he was 340, 350 at the time, pounds. Guys like that weren't doing, especially in 1987. He was coming over the top rope. He was coming off the top rope. He could drop kick. He cartwheeled. This, he had agility that no one demonstrated, and he was getting over quickly in the WWF. And... You know, we, you know, obviously his first prominent role was in the 87 Survivor Series is on Hogan's team against Team Andre. And he's the last surviving member of the Hogan team and, and he loses, but he, he goes out valiantly. And you've got this guy who looks to have some momentum. And yet by the time you get between Survivor Series and WrestleMania 4, everything seems to have changed. There's, there's been a massive shift, and Bigelow is, you know, losing the first round match against one man gang at WrestleMania four by count out, and pretty well is out the door not long after it. He leaves the mm-hmm. company, and there's a lot of talk going on that there's a lot of talk, and you know, those of us, those that those that read, you know, internet rumors and and you know the the the, the um, wrestling observer newsletters and stuff like yep. that. There was a lot of yep. talk that. There were two key political issues that went on with Bam Bam Bigelow. Number one is is obvious. Hogan was worried about how popular Bigelow was getting. And the talk is he was getting quite over and quite popular very quickly. And and Hogan was worried about it. And Hogan started complaining about it and bad-mouthing him to, um, to Vince. Mm-hmm. The second one, and I don't know if you've heard this one, but I remember I remember reading this several times um, over mm-hmm. the years. The mm-hmm. second one is that Bigelow apparently got on the bad side of Andre. Andre didn't like Bigelow because of Bigelow's attitude and his work ethic. Uh, um, I have. I, I didn't hear the work ethic half. I heard the attitude half. But I did hear the I did hear the uh, I did hear that he, that Bigelow was a little big was a little full of himself. the The work ethic part I did not hear because um, Andre's work ethic was garbage. Love Andre <laughs> to death, but Andre, come on, he had more work ethic pounding beers a lot of the time. Now, in Andre's defense, he didn't need a lot of work ethic because it was fucking Andre. No. But uh, and, and, that's, and that's where I'm coming from. He's he's on, like I agree with you. Yeah, you, you can criticize Andre's work ethic, but I think Andre by '87 had earned the right to be lazy because of everything he'd done over the years. And you go back and look at him in the seventies and the early eighties. I mean, he was, he was damn agile and, Dra- and he worked, drop kicks. He worked, and, oh yeah, yeah, no, totally. He totally. was an amazing worker. So his body's totally. breaking down in 87. He'd earned the right to be lazy. Uh, <laughs> I think. Yeah. But, he, yeah. but, but Bigelow had got on the bad side of Andre as well um, to, to the fact that apparently Andre wouldn't even work with him anymore. He didn't want to have anything to do with him, but, I mean, that gets back to Vince as well. You know that Vince, Andre's word had a lot of sway with Vince McMahon. We know that because it's been very clear over the years. 
Vince, if Andre didn't want to do something, Vince didn't do it. Um, and the story's already out there that if Andre had said he wasn't going to lose to Hogan at Mania 3, we were going to get a new world champion. Because yeah. there was one man, there's only one person in the entire world that seems that Vince McMahon would not go against. That's Andre the Giant. Damn right. So here's, so here's the situation. Bigelow on the rise and yet seems to get significantly de-pushed. And, and the question is, could things have been different for him? Could, could things have been had a different outcome if Bigelow didn't have these bad politics working against him? Where do you see Bigelow? I, I get I, we don't we, we're not maybe not going to much do as a match by match or or, or that journey no. because 87, 88 is a different time period. But can you see things different for Bigelow in in 87, 88? Could he have been used better? if the politics wasn't against him. Yes. And you know what's interesting, Dave, as we're talking about, I I have an interesting, there's a guy, I actually believe the Andre, not believe it, but because I do know the Hogan, the Hogan stuff's moderately true. However, I have a very interesting theory or interesting third theory, which I, which may not have come out as much maybe as, as we think. Because there's a third guy that I think would should have even been more worried about Bigelow than either of the other two guys, and that's Randy Savage, who would end up winning the WWF title, of course, at WrestleMania four. And Bigelow, the problem was in that arc between you know late '87 going into '88. I'm assuming that at some point in that window, Hogan knew that he was going to leave to go do no holds barred so my thinking is why would hogan have cared who was getting over as a baby face when he wasn't going to be around anyway so something tells me as much as i moderate now if this was two years earlier and bigelow got here in 86 that's different because hogan was still very much entrenched in the company as the top baby face but by early 88 i'm going to assume that at that point uh we knew that uh, Hogan knew that he was taking a, a, a break to go do no holds barred. So I'm thinking to myself now, as you're, as you were mentioning the Andre stuff, Dave, I'm thinking in my head, why would Hogan be so upset about it when he wasn't going to be around anyway? The guy that should have been worried about it was Savage because he was freshly turned face yet may have been even more, but he might've been the one that should have been worried if Bigelow was getting over, not Hogan. So I contend, Dave, that the main guy that got Bigelow out of the company was Andre. There's good chance. That's my that's my theory. Because I feel think about it too. Think about it. Would Bigelow have been a good world champion? Probably. Why not? The other guy that might have been worried about Bigelow's uh Bigelow's um uh um Popularity is the ultimate warrior. Think about that. The only reason that that did that, that those two guys, Savage and warrior should not have been worried is because Vince hates fat baby faces. We talked about that in the beginning. <laughs> Vader was fine when he was fat, but you know, but I don't think, I think Bigelow just didn't. Oh yeah. Sure. Bigelow had the very, you know, rare look with the, with the, with the tats on his forehead, which for 1987 is, it was ridiculous. I'm like, my God, this guy tattooed his scalp. That's crazy. 
Um, but do you get what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel like the Hogan theory, logically, in the landscape of 87, 88 WWF, carries less weight than than the Andre one. I think the, I I do think that Andre could stand him. But when you think about guys and their babyface spots, you've got Savage, who just turned babyface. He's also and, your and, champion. And, and turned babyface by, well, number one, he was he was going against Honky initially, but, but really they solidified his babyface turn by having him link up with Hogan. On, well, on the Mega Powers, totally. And, and that, the totally. The Mega Powers, so... Not totally. just turning him babyface, but turning him babyface in a very prominent Hogan's Definitely. Of, yep. you know, partner. Totally. I totally agree with you. So I think Bigelow was the victim. That's why 88, that's why I think the other two instances we're going to discuss with Bigelow are a little more egregious than this one. Because I think, listen, if you're not on Andre's, if Andre's not, if you're not in his corner, or if Andre's not in your corner, you're fucked <laughs> pretty much. So, and listen, Andre doesn't have to be right all the time, but he's earned the right to be Hey, boss. It's Andre. Sorry, man. Sucks. Um, and, and, and it must've been, it must've been like, you think about this, it, the, the, that story, if, if Andre doesn't like people, like guys like Jake, the snake, I've, I've heard his podcast. You know, if Andre doesn't like you, he doesn't like you and you're in for a hard time. And there's stories out there about his opinion of the ultimate warrior and what he did to warrior in matches. But Andre still worked with warrior. He didn't like him, but he knew what was good for business for the company and where the company were taking warrior at that time. Andre was still a businessman. So if he didn't want to work with Bigelow or if he didn't think Bigelow should even be in the company, that's, a massive, massive, you know, that's a massive thing to have right. hanging over you. Like you, you've got to think Vince is gonna is gonna be listening to that because, like you said, where does he fit in? If he's if he's this rising babyface, well, Savage is already super over from what's happened with Honky and and, and Hogan, so Savage is already up near the top. Warrior was on the rise, and post Mania, Warrior snowballs to to move into that you know number three baby face slot ascension where does bigelow like bigelow can be popular but where does he really fit in the direction of the company he doesn't he he was teaming with hogan in on the house show circuit against dbrc and bigelow and then and and then it all changed Mm -hmm. Uh, probably because of what andre was saying like he's like he suggested um Mm. I don't see anything like – I don't think Bigelow would have made a better world champion than, than Savage. The Savage storyline with Liz and, and all that, it, it's, it's a perfect storyline and, and, and really fits what they did with Savage. Then you've got the rise of Warrior happening underneath it. Um, Bigelow doesn't fit in, and like you said, his, his body image would never fit into what – Vince would want as a champion, as a baby face. I can't see Bigelow being given a run at the world title or the Intercontinental title in 88. I'm not saying it couldn't have happened in the future, but in 1988, it, it was he was going to be, if anything, he was going to fit the role that Andre had been playing in sort of 
85, 86. He was right. He might, he might be near the top of the car, but it's more as an attraction. Here's this big guy who can do all this amazing stuff. He's going to be an attraction. You want to come and see it because you're not going to see anyone else do it. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to use him in any other way. And right. um, I think they felt. I think once he got on Andre's bad side, he was done. Right out the door. Yeah. So yeah. So I don't think. I think. I mean, Steamboat was gone, and you know, you had Beefcake emerging. I think for Bigelow, it was just bad timing. In that instance, um, great timing the second time around, but this time I think he definitely got uh, um, hosed. So set us up for example two for poor Bigelow. Well, um, yeah, great timing second time around. So Bigelow comes back to the company in in ninety three. Yep. Um, late late ninety two, early ninety three. Um, and he he goes um, he has a great series of matches with Bret Hart uh, the whole King of the Ring uh, situation and then Bigelow starts bouncing around the mid card but they start to build him up again they they look at at who they've got and and, and we get to 1995 and Bigelow is is pushed into this storyline with Lawrence Taylor mm-hmm. and. You know that Vince is only putting guys, when you bring in a celebrity, you're using guys that you trust, that Mm -hmm. you know can work, and Mm -hmm. you know can help get that guy over. Totally. That that shows the reputation that Bam Bam Bigelow had built in himself, in the company, on himself in the company, in the two years he'd been back. He right. had garnered a reputation. He might not have all been, always been used the best, and we're not. I'm not looking at the the way he was used in '92, '93. You were rebuilding him, uh, doing other things, but in '95 he does this match with Lawrence Taylor, and the talk, the the, the belief, uh, the the internet rumors was that part of the plan was as a reward. For doing the the doing business and losing to Lawrence Taylor at WrestleMania, mm-hmm. he was supposed to get a big push coming out of WrestleMania, right? Um, and you know, and big push meaning into the main event scene somehow. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there were a few guys in the company that didn't like that. Very well known guys. Sean Michaels, mm-hmm. Evan Nash, Scott Hall, Sean Walton. The K-L-I-Q. And yep. the story goes that basically they, again, they began to badmouth him, talk him down, um, would uh, not work to their best of their ability in any match that they were in with him. And within a few months, Bigelow went from Bigelow was turned babyface immediately after WrestleMania. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment, about what where that really put him. But this this, this idea of he's going to get a big push and be working with Diesel and, and be in main event slots and, and, and all that. And before the end of the year, he, his, everything had been, the rug had been pulled out from under him. He'd been, he'd gone from 
you know, to the very bottom of the card, so not even on cards and pretty well out the door because the click didn't like him and didn't like the idea of him coming into that scene. And mm. we all know 1995 was not the best year from an in-ring perspective for the company. No. And to have a guy the size of Bigelow who could work the way he could work he could have been used so much better in 95 in a way that would have benefited the company and benefited um, him and probably and probably the guys in the clique. You know, Michaels and, and Nash and Hall, they could have all really benefited from what Bigelow could have brought to the table and how he could have worked with them. Um, Absolutely. Unfortunately, he got buried again for the second time. I never got it. I never got it. I mean, the company was, it was a dearth of talent. You know, you, on the baby face side, you know, Sean turned. So you had Sean and you had Diesel and you had Taker and you had um, Luger and you had Razor and Bret Hart and Bret. So the baby face side was kind of loaded. Um, and now Bigelow. Now, we've talked on past shows. We did the tribute show earlier this year to um, to uh, Razor. And we talked about Razor getting a title shot. We kept him a baby face, but maybe it was a good time for Razor to turn heel. You know? Because um, then the entire clique were baby faces, which was just way too much. Your heels were... Tatanka, Mabel, Jarrett, Sid, um, well, eventually Bulldog, Bulldog was a face in the beginning of the year, right, so there weren't enough heels, that was a problem, Dave, there just weren't enough heels, so Bigelow got lo- got lost in the babyface shuffle, and the clicks like, <laughs> sorry, dude, too many on this bus. Um, some of those babyfaces needed to be turned heel. I would have brought, I would have totally, if Luger wasn't already, you know, skulking his way back to WCW, I would have totally put Luger back as the narcissist. He should have <laughs> stayed the narcissist anyway, but that's a totally other story. Um, there were just too many babyfaces and not enough good heels. But you, but it was in terms of babyface heel. You were already at the point of no return with Bigelow. There really couldn't or wasn't a way for you to turn him back. Not once they turned him, no. But let me put forward a potential scenario for Bigelow that sure. would have used him better in '95. So everything stays the same to WrestleMania. He loses to Lawrence Taylor at WrestleMania, and obviously, I'm looking at it from a storyline perspective. DBRC's not happy, but I think you could have really played into the story that more than that, Bigelow was not happy with himself. You could have played in that Bigelow, you know, where has my career gone? What's happened to the killer? And maybe the next night on Raw, Bigelow takes it on himself to, you know, rebuild some credibility. And you've got the whole, you know, you, you could have had him come out on 
the next night after losing to Taylor, he doesn't say anything. You know, maybe has said earlier in the night how disappointed he is in Bigelow, and he's thinking of maybe cutting Bigelow's contract. He doesn't want dead weight in the corporation. And Bigelow comes out later in the night. There's, there's a match. Diesel could be wrestling anyone. And Bigelow comes out and puts an absolute beating on, on Diesel. Because Diesel trained Lawrence Taylor in the storyline. Diesel helped Lawrence Taylor get ready for his match. So you had that connection. Diesel had been the friend of Lawrence Taylor. And because Bigelow has lost to Taylor and Taylor's gone, he's looking to take it out on Diesel. He comes out, he puts a beating on Diesel, you know, puts him through, you know, rams him into, into the, the, the post, hits him with chairs, drops a couple of big splashes from the top rope on him and just leaves Diesel lame. And it gets DBR, you can sort of see DBR comes out while this is all going. He's, he's started the laughing again and he started, you can see he's impressed. And over the next few weeks, Bigelow just goes on a tear. He goes through some of these lower, you know, he goes through some of these baby faces that he hasn't been doing very well with. He he goes through, you know, a, a one, two, three kid. He goes through a Bob Holly, Sparky Plug. You know, he, he goes through a Davy Boy Smith, uh, even a Lex Luger, because those guys are now in a tag team, remember? That, that's the allied powers. So you can have them drop a, a singles match. And on commentary, Vince and Jerry Lawler are talking about how Bigelow seems to have got a killer instinct again. Something's flipped. Something's turned in him. And as a result, you could then build up to a match between, you know, Bigelow is just going on this tear. Um, You can still have Diesel face Sid at the In Your House because that was terrible. But again, you know, they, they have that terrible match. You get to King of the Ring, and it's and it's um, Bigelow who goes on a rampage through the tournament. Absolutely crushes it. He he beats everyone laid before him easily, comfortably with that killer instinct. Mm-hmm. So that now um, everyone's looking at Bigelow as my goodness, something's flipped, something's turned, and he starts going, "I want the title." I want the shot. I, I've just won the King of the Ring, and and you know, DiBiase can talk about buying shots or whatever. I mean, it's DiBiase. Who cares? But Bigelow is now working that way. He could put a beating on Sean to get Sid's attention, and you build to a SummerSlam match between Bigelow and Diesel, and Diesel can win it. Diesel, you know, Bigelow, you know, he doesn't need to win, but you've built him up enough that a match at SummerSlam is going to be people going, oh, my goodness, Bigelow's turned his career around. For the last three months, last four months, he has just been unstoppable. He's been pummeling. Having beat Razor, having beat Sean at, on, at, in your house, he could, at the second in your house, he could beat Sean in a number one contenders match or he can beat Razor in a number one contenders match, um, depending on what you want to do with Sean, I guess, because – he might need to be protected differently. Mm-hmm. But it all it all stems. This new killer instinct is in Bigelow, and they meet at SummerSlam. And Bigelow could give Diesel a great match, a great big man match, because he can bounce around for Diesel the way Mabel couldn't. 
but he's powerful enough to put Diesel in jeopardy of losing that match. It gives credibility. And Diesel can come, and then and then he can come out of SummerSlam and maybe you put him on the trajectory to, to have a feud with Razor. And and maybe it's it's he and Razor battling over the IC title rather than the whole crap that happened with Douglas, who's another guy that, you know, Dean Douglas, Shane Douglas, another guy who suffered at the hands of the of the click in ninety-five. But mm. by rebuilding by rebuilding with the killer instinct, you've got a guy who who gives credibility to a title match at SummerSlam. Because as a good guy, like you said, where does he sit in the pecking order? They've just turned Sean. So you've got Diesel, Sean, Bret Hart, Undertaker, Razor, and Mom. We've had this conversation before. There's five guys ahead of him. He's never going to be in a prominent spot as a good guy. Even, no. even being a friend of Diesel, he's still going to be seen as fifth or sixth at best. But, you know, if he if he sort of sees it as a humiliation that he lost to Taylor and I'm going to get my revenge and I'm going to get my revenge on Diesel and I'm going to take him out and that killer instinct is redeveloped. Yep. You've reworked the character a little bit and DBRC can be sitting there in the interviews going, I always knew it. This is why I've invested in him because I knew that he had this in him. It just had to be awoken and I might not like the way it got awoken, but it's it's there now, and he's going to win the title. And so DiBiase can talk for him. You go in there, and you can have a great match at SummerSlam. And Diesel's yep. and Diesel's championship run looks better as a result. Yeah, I love all that. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna. I, I love all that. I think that would have been perfect. Gives Diesel a better opponent. Uh, you know, opponent at SummerSlam than freaking Mabel. Um. Uh. I just hope that hanging out with the click didn't disillusion Bigelow too much. I feel that's just what happened. I feel like even as a heel, um, that that was a that would have ultimately been a problem. I, I just you know it's hopefully as through we look through our looking glass, Shawn Michaels is not that much of an asshole. Um, <laughs> so you know, I, I, but I other than that, I I I love that Dave. I agree. I, I'll, I'm not even gonna. I'm just gonna roll with it. I think that's awesome. Um, I think that that uh, because there's, you're right. There's just so many baby faces, and Sean's not gonna change. You know, he's not. He obviously just changed. Diesel's won't change till after he loses to Brett. Um. So I think that's perfect for for uh, for Bigelow. I like. I love all that. That's awesome, Dave. I think that's a great. I think that's a great path he could have taken. And it just gives D. It only makes Diesel look better. Diesel's the one that looks like an asshole wrestling all these terrible, this these Sid matches and this match with Mabel. And why didn't they have any clout not having that match? You get rid of Bigelow, but you think you look good. Yeah, she made Sean look good, but some of these other Click guys should have been like, dude, why do you get to wrestle Sh- uh, Razor in a ladder match and I got to wrestle fucking Mabel? Really? I made out better than if I wrestle Bigelow. Is this a joke? So they, I think they screwed themselves, honestly. Because they ended up having crappier matches. You know? It's ridiculous. It's just they didn't. They just couldn't think outside the box. They couldn't. Couldn't think they just outside wanted, of themselves. No, they just wanted to accrue wins. That's all that mattered to them. It didn't matter whether. They're like, oh, we just wanted everything to look good. That's bullshit. You were all taking too many drugs. And you were, too, you were drinking too much. And you just couldn't see yourself beyond your face. Because if you. If D, Kevin Nash. And we'll get to him in a minute. More. If you think that you were better off wrestling Diesel 
at SummerSlam, uh, uh, Mabel at SummerSlam, than you were Bam Bam Bigelow? You're an idiot. And you're sitting here criticizing, talking about Roman Reigns right now. Really? Shut up and drink your wine. <laughs> you're, an idiot. you're an idiot. Um, but otherwise, no, Dave, I, I, I love, I love that thinking. I think that would have been great because, and I think, I think razor could have, maybe razor could have turned heel with him going. Yeah. You know what? Diesel and Sean are kind of, you know, they're kind of like thinking they're their own thing. And we're just kind of left here holding the bag and maybe diesel, maybe bam, bam and, and razor turn into this heel unit of, of mercenaries, you know? So That'd be good. Imagine, yeah. imagine a tag match between those four: Diesel and Diesel and Sean versus Razor and Bigelow. It would have been a good match. That'd have been fun. A lot of bomb throwing in that match. I'd, I'd have signed up for that totally. Total bomb throwing in that match. I like that, Dave. So if those guys had just stopped acting like morons and really thought about caring about the company and not about themselves, and look, I love the Click. No one loves the Click more than I do, but. Let's be honest. They really didn't have the company's interest at heart. They had their own interest in heart. And if they ever tell you different, they're lying. Because if they did have the interest of the company at heart, they would have cultivated Bigelow as a good heel. And it would have been him and Razor because there's just there were just too many baby faces. You couldn't have nine baby faces and two heels. Because then, remember, uh, uh, Jeff Jarrett left and they emasculated him. So and it's they, like, they, and they got they got Dean they got Douglas to leave the company. Yeah, Dean he, Douglas. He, he left as well. Yeah, I mean they were just so fucking stupid. They didn't understand it. The company. See that that's why ultimately it's like you guys can never book a company. You're idiots. Uh, really? Which brings it. Which brings us. Are you sure? Are you sure they can't book a company? <laughs> which brings us to example number three. <laughs> well, Lay talking of, talking about. Kevin Nash booking companies. We're going to jump to 1998 WCW. Yep. November 98 is, is, is quite, is a big moment because Bam Bam Bigelow leaves ECW due to pay issues. And a lot of people we know. What ECW a, what a shock. <laughs> pay he was paid in cash, really? <laughs> but, but look, to be fair, Bigelow went, I can get money elsewhere. And he turns up in WCW and it's, it's a very quick arrival. But he arrives on Nitro in November, and he immediately targets Goldberg. Goldberg, in the middle of his unbeaten run, world yep. champion, really doesn't have any contenders at the moment. There's no one who's sort of in that role nope. of the challenger to Goldberg. Nope. Then at World War Three, Bigelow has a pull apart with Goldberg, and it really looks like, my goodness, they, they could be doing something. Bigelow and Goldberg, this could be... Something because Bigelow had rebuilt his reputation in ECW as a big man, as a killer, as what we were talking about. His run in ECW in 97 and 98 was fantastic. Totally. And he had great matches. Totally believable. It really had rebuilt his career. So, so you, had, right. you had, a, on a side note, it's funny, you had Bigelow hanging out with Shane Douglas. You had two guys who got screwed by the click. That's right. <laughs> And more people were watching them than watching WWF. <laughs> Who ended up winning in the end in that aspect? <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> Sorry, go absolutely. Ahead. So Bigelow turns up and it looks 
for all money, like they are going to build to something between Bigelow and Goldberg. But at the same time as Bigelow arrives, there's a change in the booking. Oh, boy. Theme. Yep. There is a new person in charge of booking the company, basically from the beginning of World War Three. Yep. And that's the man we're just talking about, none other than Kevin Nash, <gasps> a man who seems to be able to hold a grudge and not know and not know what to do that's best for business. Because in his mind, what's best for business is to get himself win World War Three and win the world title a month later, ending Goldberg's unbeaten streak for no real reason and no real story behind it. Nope. And yet here's yep. this guy, Bigelow, on the side. And, and on top of that, he kills Bigelow off him within, within the space of three weeks because he, he has Bigelow face Goldberg on a Nitro, lose, and then slowly pushes him down the card that by January he's tag-teaming with Diamond Dallas Page and Chris Canyon against guys like Raven and Perry Saturn. It just yep. is a complete burial yep. of Bam Bigelow again. And the way he came into the company, they could have done so much more with him. Do you remember that? You remember this this little moment and this? It really did feel like Nash just went, "I don't like him. You brought him in, but I didn't bring him in. The the the, the regime that I've taken over from brought him in. They wanted to use him in that role, but I don't want him in that role. So I'm going to get rid of him, and I'm going to put myself in that spot, and I'm going to I'm going to be the champion." And that, that's what it really felt like. It really felt like It was like very Nash simple. Cal- yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're totally right. It's it's pretty simple. There's really no there's really no uh speculation or or alluding. It's the truth. Nash wanted to be the man. He wanted to be the guy to end Goldberg's streak, even if it made no sense whatsoever. And yet it could have and we've we've done we've done a Goldberg episode. You can go back and look at that. That was yep. um that's back in our archives. Uh, we've, yep. we've talked. We've talked about guys like Scott Hall and and their role in WCW, and they yeah. talked about our, our our Scott Hall tribute episode. Yep. But let me put this scenario out there. Uh, let, let's 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 imagine that either Nash doesn't. Let's imagine Nash didn't get the book. Okay. Bigelow arrives, as we said. He, he he comes on TV. He's like, "I'm coming for you, Goldberg," and he has this book. Goldberg says because the the story is. Goldberg wasn't booked on World War Three. He didn't actually have a match. Bigelow, while World War Three is happening, Bigelow comes to ringside. I, I can't remember if he comes through the crowd or whatever. He comes out. Goldberg comes out, and they are being held apart by referees and officials. No actual, right. but it's clear. They're going to build something here. So we come out of there. Bigelow's not a part of World War Three. The storyline was the winner of World War Three gets the title shot at Starcade. Fine. Nash can have the title shot at Starcade. That's fine. Yeah. I don't mind that. I, I actually didn't have a problem because Nash was over enough to have earned that shot. I don't have a problem sure. with that. So you go through to Starcade. Nash is facing um, Goldberg, but Goldberg wins. Goldberg cleanly beats Nash with the spear and the um, jackhammer. Mm-hmm. But in the weeks leading up from World War Three to to Starcade, you just have Bigelow start going through people. Like you know, he he beats a couple of keeps a, a couple of nobodies the first couple of weeks. It doesn't matter who he beats. He can beat a he could beat you know he could beat La Parker. I mean you know 
you know, who are you to who are you to, to, to who are you um, to doubt El Dandy? Who are you to doubt El Dandy? You can you can, you're going against El Dandy. Um, you can do a couple of wins, and maybe at Starcade you have him face someone from the Wolfpack. Maybe Lex Luger or Sting, right? Friends of Kevin Nash on screen, and he beats them pretty quickly too. You go through January. He's he starts beating Uppercut. He beats a Conan. He beats the other whoever Sting or Luger is, and he beats the other one. Maybe at he maybe he gets a win over Nash. Maybe at, at, at sold out, he beats Nash in a number one contenders match, catapulting to a title shot at Super Brawl. You've built again. You've got this. We, we, why does this sound familiar? You build Bigelow up as a monster heel. Mm-hmm. He's big. He's agile. He can do things in the ring that most heels can't do and most big guys can't do. Right. And he's going to get it. He's going to get over because he's got the look. Right. And you, you build him up. Bang, bang. He beats face after face after face. You've got Goldberg who's been beating everyone and he just continues winning match after match. But Bigelow comes in on this little unbeaten streak of his own. From from November to, to February, he doesn't lose a match. And then you put two of them together at sold out. Unbeaten guys, they've they've been drawing at each other since World War Three. You've been at, you've got three months to build heat, to build tension. They can continue. They can start Bigelow can start interfering in Goldberg matches and Goldberg can still win. Or Right. You know, he attacks Goldberg after a win. You know, Goldberg wins his match and Bigelow comes in. They, and they're brawling and they're brawling to the back. And, and so they have this match. And, and maybe what you do is maybe Goldberg doesn't suffer a loss in the ring as his first non-victory. But maybe Bigelow and Goldberg just end up in this massive brawl. The, ref, mm-hmm. they lose, the refs lose control, and we've got to DQ them both. They just complete chaos. The match gets out of hand, and they're, they're belting each other, chair, they're going the aisle. It looks like a genuine fight, like these guys don't like each other, because that's how it was being built for those first couple of weeks. Like That's where right. it looked like it was heading. So you have this massive brawl, and so all of a sudden, neither of them are, are – te- they're technically undefeated. They haven't lost. But the winning streak has been ended by by Bigelow, but he hasn't won either. It's a it's a draw, and so now you build to a rematch, a rematch at whether it be uncensored or you know or you know something else coming up. You you, you build to a rematch a month or two later in a cage mm-hmm. in, in something. And for all intents, I would have Goldberg win. You've you've had him in his first real feud. I would have right. Goldberg. I would have Goldberg win, but he's no longer. He can no longer claim to have won every match. All he can claim is that he's undefeated. Um, and, and I think you would really get Goldberg over to. He would get. I mean, he was already over. He was massively over. And they talk about, you know, Nash talks about how it was time for him to lose. It wasn't. It wasn't time for him to lose. What it was time for was for him to be in a storyline that you could sink your teeth into, that the fans could go, oh, my goodness, this is these guys hate each other and, and maybe Goldberg has got someone that could beat him. And Bigelow could have fit that role. 
No argument out of me. No argument out of me at all. I, I just I don't. Who who's to say that that it was time for uh, who's to say that it was time for for Bigelow to lose? Like, I'm sorry, that's 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 dumb for Goldberg. I mean, sorry, Goldberg to lose. That's dumb. He was still over. He was the one thing. Goldberg's undefeated streak, Kevin Nash, you dipshit, was the one thing keeping your stupid company from drowning. I always said that well before the, quote, finger poke of doom, the last bullet that was shot in the Monday Night War for WCW was Hogan's was uh, Goldberg's win over Hogan on the Nitro in at the George yep. Dome, which I still think should have been on pay-per-view, but that's just my that's just my opinion. We talked about that, though. As Dave said, go back to our archives, placetobe.podbean.com. Check out the Goldberg episode of the show, and we'll, we got into the whole thing. But Goldberg undefeated was the only thing keeping you dipshits afloat while Vince was surging by the end of 98. The streak had been broken. The, the ratings war streak was broken. SummerSlam was a killer show, one of my favorite. It's, on, it's still one of my favorite pay-per-views of all time, uh, SummerSlam 98. So you need to keep Goldberg undefeated. And instead, you made him look like a chump. And then on the night of January 4th, 1999, you made yourself and your company look like chumps. And the Monday Night War was lost. Instead, Goldberg could have went into 1999 as still a killer, undefeated babyface like Steve Austin. Duh. And... Bigelow could be the rock. I mean, relatively speaking, of course, you know what I mean? But, and the company could still have gotten hot. The minute the finger poke happened, you were done. Done. Everything after that is crap. So at one of the most critical moments in the history of the company, you could have rebounded from the debacle of Starcade 97 and the shitty Sting Hogan pin and Brett and all that crap. You could have survived that had you kept Goldberg undefeated going into 1999. And him and Bigelow could have had an awesome feud because Bigelow was loved by the fans. And instead, so no, Kevin Nash, you couldn't run a company. You tanked it. Just like three years earlier when you all thought you were smarter than Bigelow. And guess what? You almost tanked it. Tanking, tanking, tanking. That's all you know how to do. And then you went to TNA and you almost tanked that one. <laughs> but that's another story. There's a common thread here. Do you there see is. the common thread? Yes. Obviously, the... obviously, Bam Bam Bigelow is is a problem because he Clearly. can work. <laughs> yes. And he could be a great heel, but you don't want a job to him because you think you're smarter than everybody else. Meanwhile, you you all were you all were kings of a very broke castle. It's like Kings of the Trailer Park. Well, oh, I think you, know, you talk you talk about the, the 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 final nails in the coffin. I mean, I remember myself. I remember at the time when Goldberg lost, and, and uh, look, I we did, I didn't get Nitro at the time, but I, I was following. I, I was in. I, I was watching videos and, and and watching what I could see. But when Goldberg lost, it really was a well, what now? Because there hadn't been a storyline built with him. And this is what I'm saying. If you kept him 
if you kept him unbeaten, and we've talked about this before, and give him start giving him these storylines, these things that can that you that you're wanting to keep seeing him, you you keep wanting him to win, then you can keep that streak going in a way that people are happy for, aren't going to turn on him, and you wait for the right person to come along that you can build up as the right person to beat him. I mean, mm-hmm. we look at the blood, we look at WWE now, Roman Reigns, that's exactly the situation that WWE is in with Roman Reigns. They've yeah. built him up so big now, we're now just waiting for that. They're just waiting for the right person. Now, that right person could already be in the company. It could be someone else who'll come along later. But they, it, we are really in the position now of, Roman Reigns is going to hold that title until they've worked out who it is they want to have take over as the next person. That's that's where it's at. Mm-hmm. Same could have happened with yeah. Goldberg. You could have Goldberg undefeated until you had, whether it be a face or a heel, someone who you build up as in, there's our next anointed one. They can take the title from Goldberg and then they can have their start their reign. And, and, and Honestly... And you know what's funny, Dave? Before you, before you, I just thought of this. Even if Bigelow doesn't win the title or doesn't doesn't break the streak for Goldberg, if you want to put over a big baby face and have Goldberg start to get a little big, you know, we talked about this on the Goldberg episode. Ultimately, one of the most over guys in '99 was DDP. Yeah, and then you have Bigelow and DDP feud. Yeah, just well. Fucking click instead of, instead of <laughs> teaming as the Jersey Triad, yeah, which was awesome. I did like the Jersey Triad, but before the Jersey Triad, you could have done that. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow, I we always say, Dave, for these certain topics. Yeah, this, we're not going to go as long as we normally do. <laughs> and then, and then, Dave just knows how to pull my ripcord, and that's it. It's over. No one thought we were going to talk about CM Punk as long as we did, but because I just that one made me mad, but. We hope you enjoyed. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode, uh, our journey this month. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought that we we kind of delved into some. We hope we pissed you off in a good way, not at us, but that guys should have gotten uh, better chances. Um, Bigelow is the funny one because every Bigelow decision ended up being the wrong one. Maybe not eighty eight. Eighty eight's a little different because it was Andre, but but the click in ninety five and Nash in ninety eight, both decisions that ended up harming the company more than hurting it. That's the worst part, but. Dave, always a pleasure. Where can everyone find you? I know where I can find you. Where can everyone else find you? <laughs> um, you know where to find you. Oh, look, you, you, everyone, if you want to reach out to me, if you want to send me a message, you can uh, you can send me a message through through Facebook. You, you can uh, you can find me on Instagram now. I'm on Insta. I've, I've oh, branched okay. out. I'm on Instagram now. Um, I You can send me a message. We'd love to hear from you. And um, if you want to hear more of me, you can hear me over on the North-South Connection on the Sister Network. Uh, on the uh, Cronoso, yes, Cronoso yep. podcast. You can yep. you can uh, hear me uh, hear me appear on those, and uh, you know, encourage you to to check those out. And uh, but would love to hear from any of you. Uh, would love to hear uh, chat to you. Um, as Scott said, you know, reach out to me. I, I'm always open to chat and connection at any time, and I love just uh, throwing ideas and stories out there and, and connecting with people. So yeah, feel free to, to send me a message. All right, How about you, Scott. We're, 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 what's on? What's on in your world at the moment? You've got so much going on. What's a couple of highlights that people should tune into for you, Scott? Well, of course, uh, this past weekend, um, Doctor G and I with a new episode of the PTB Weekend Special. We we are getting everyone ready for NWA presents Sawin. 
Sawin. Uh, that pay-per-view is coming up this weekend. Of course, this past weekend, uh, uh, Impact had Bound for Glory. Join us later this week uh, for a new episode of Place Me Nation's main event. Myself, Steve Willie, maybe Boogie himself, Andrew Reese, will come back and we'll talk a little Bound for Glory. Um, let's see. This weekend, uh, as I mentioned, NWA has Sawin, their pay-per-view. Uh, Dr. G and I will have a special Saturday edition. We're going back old school, like the Saturday special. The PTB weekend special will be on Saturday uh, afternoon. We'll preview the NWA pay-per-view, and then this coming Monday, the 30th, uh, will be our reaction special to it. Uh, what else? Well, of course, you're listening to this, which this was great, as always. Um, and uh, we'll have some fun stuff over the next uh, couple of weeks. And uh, uh, again, Greg Diener and I with Wrestle Tracks, where we live watch a themed show. Um, if you saw the poll on The Place to Be, you may know. Uh, what choices uh, you had to vote. We thank you all for voting. We appreciate it. Uh, there might be a poll coming up soon, um, or I, I may be reaching out to all of you fine listeners of our family for mailbag questions, because Dave and I are well overdue for a mailbag episode. So uh, let us know. Plus, uh, again, either on Twitter or reach out to Dave on his Instagram or even on the Place to Be page. Any future topics you would like uh, Dave and I to... Uh, to uh, broach um, that we may not have gotten to yet in our journey. We're open to any suggestions. We are not, we do not discriminate. Whatever you got, Dave and I will try and mold it into something because that's, that's what we do. <laughs> We're good at it. Uh, obviously I'm, I'm on Twitter at Scott C Podfather, but please follow the brand on Twitter at PTB and wrestling. I do the, the wrestling time travel every day where we go back in history on that date to whatever, pay-per-view or big show was going on involving the big six. Usually I do WWE, WCW, ECW, Impact, New Japan, and Ring of Honor. I don't do AEW because they haven't done enough shows yet. Um, so that's every day uh, in various times. I try to do it in the morning at least. Um, and uh, we do polls. Uh, the podcasts are dropped there. Um, so check it out. And you can find me anywhere. You know where I am. I don't hide. Uh Anyway, Dave, always a pleasure. This was a fun episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will talk to you uh, in November while we uh, find different turkeys. Could you imagine a gobbledygooker <laughs> in an alternate universe? <laughs> See you next time month through the looking glass. Time. It's Vader time.